0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Every kingdom slash empire slash world power that's ever existed rises to a pinnacle and then declines. You can talk about the great Chinese empire's through history, any empire from the Far East. You can talk about the Middle Eastern empires, Egypt, uh, Persia, Babylonia. You can talk about Greece. You can talk about Rome. You can talk about the United Kingdom. You can talk about the United States of America. The United States of America rose over the course of a couple, couple hundred years to becoming the number one superpower in the world. And The way I see it, uh, looking from my perspective, and my perspective is always going to be a kingdom perspective because I've surrendered my mind, my heart, my spirit, my lifestyle to God's purpose for me, which causes me to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, so that's the way I think. That's the way I view things and people and carry on relationships and make decisions and live out my life. Is through a kingdom lens, and the way I see the United States of America through a kingdom lens right now is that we reached our pinnacle and we've crested, okay? And all the stuff that we see going on in our society is a deterioration from the inside out that started, what, six, seven decades ago and has grown like a bad disease inside of us and we are deteriorating from the inside out. When you deteriorate from the inside out and you have really pushed God off the center of who you are, then you also open up doors and avenues for attacks from the outside. And so I think we are experiencing some of both of those. Now, I'm not a prophet of doom, and I'm not here to discourage anybody, to make anybody fearful or create any anxiety. That's not my point. I don't want you to leave here all knotted up knowing that or believing that America's headed to hell in a handbasket. That's not my goal here. My goal is to present us a picture of reality so that we can know, as kingdom sons and daughters, how to think about it, how to react to it, how to respond to what's going on around us, what's the appropriate response, what's the appropriate way to think. What should we be doing? What should we be staying away from? Who should we be staying away from? Who should we be circling the wagons with? These are the things that we need to know. These are the things that we have to land on as our foundation, or we're going to be victims of what 1 Peter 5 talks about. It says the devil is roaming the earth looking for someone to devour. And if we are not established on a solid kingdom foundation, it is a 100% guarantee that we're going to be devoured. We're going to be eaten up by these things. We're going to be eaten up by the system. If we are looking to the wrong sources, if we're making politics our God, we can talk about I love God and I believe in Him, but we spend 30 hours a week watching Fox News and we spend 15 minutes a week on our faces before God in prayer and meditation, well that balance or that lack of balance is going to set us up to be devoured. 100% guarantee because you can't say something out of this side of your mouth but live it a totally different way off of this side and expect a good result. It just doesn't work like that. You see, God doesn't function based off of the imbalances that we like to try to play trickery and magic with in our lives. He's a very real God who teaches us how to deal with real situations in a godly way. He tells us everything we need to know. He shows us everything we need to do. And He is working all around us and His call and His mandate is for us to jump into what He's doing. And if we do that, we're going to be fine. So the story of David deciding to build God a house, in review, number one, building a temple for God was not God's idea. Okay, that was not God's idea. God was perfectly fine with a tent, what they called a tabernacle. It was mobile. It was flexible. There was a lot of flexibility around it. I personally love the idea of a tabernacle. This is a beautiful building we're gathered in. All due respect to the people who decided to build this and who put the labor and the money into it. Got no problem. It's a great place for us to gather and worship. All right, but I'd be just, just as well off if we were meeting under a tent so that if we need to go over there next Sunday. We just carry the tent with us. If you remember when Stephen was being stoned, he, he preached the whole history of Israel to them to start with. And then he said, and then David had the idea to build God a house, but then he didn't get to build it, but his son Solomon built it. And you can almost hear the disdain in Stephen's voice as he's making that declaration because he follows it up by saying, when all God really wants is for us to be a tent shrine for true worship, a tent shrine. What a beautiful uh, w- phrase for what our lives are supposed to look like. Mobile, flexible, on the go. Wherever we go, the kingdom goes. Twenty-five years ago, my brother and I were having a conversation. He was a youth pastor at a church. He was, or thirty years ago, maybe. And he was being asked to move to Atlanta to be youth pastor at a different church. He called me up. He said, I need you to help me pray about this. I just want to know what God's will is. I said, man, just shut up. He said, what? I said, you know, I said, is God talking to you audibly, telling you to move to Atlanta? He said, no. I said, then just make a decision. You're a man of God. You've surrendered your life to him. You don't have to ask God for his will. You are his will. If you think that Atlanta would give you a better opportunity to perpetuate that will in the earth, then go. If you don't, then stay. End of the story. Now, I say that with full acknowledgement that sometimes God does knock on our heads and say, hey, I want you to do this. We need to pay attention to that. But for the most part, he calls us, ordains us, anoints us to be kingdom sons and daughters in the earth, and he doesn't just instruct us, I want you to be that spot, you got to be in this spot, you got to be in this spot. No, we can make a decision to go somewhere and be somebody and do something knowing that we are the will of God walking into that situation. It wasn't God's idea to build himself a house. It was David's idea And then he wouldn't let David build it because David had shed too much blood. So he says, your son Solomon's going to build it. So Solomon builds it. And God blesses it. What does that say to us? Although it was not God's idea, if we have a great idea, God will bless our idea. It doesn't have to be his idea. But there are three things that have to exist for God to bless it. Number one, it has to bring honor and glory to him, or he's not going to bless it. Number two, the motivation behind it has to be pure. So Solomon can't be doing this in order to gain something for himself. He can only be doing it in order to bring honor and glory to God. And the third thing is that it has to advance the kingdom. Now literally, in his day, they were advancing the kingdom of Judah the kingdom of israel by building this temple because it established them more solidly in their region as an influencer as a partner to other nations as a leader in the known world at that time god blessed it but god says so you get to 2nd chronicles 7 and the temple is finished And the palace is finished and it's time for dedication. And Solomon holds this great feast and this great celebration, this great festival to celebrate the completion of the temple. And all the people come in and the untold tens of thousands of sacrifices that are offered to honor God because of what's happened here. And then Solomon prays this beautiful prayer of dedication over the temple. That's Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6 leading into the first part of chapter 7, and then all of a sudden, when Solomon's finished, God speaks. And God says, thank you for this wonderful gift, I'm paraphrasing. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Y- your motivation was pure. I'm honored and glorified by it. It's going to advance the kingdom. I pronounce my blessing on it. I'm going to move in this house and live. That's what God says. Up through verse 13, everything's positive. And then all of a sudden he says, but listen, when I send a famine on you, and when I send a plague of locusts on you, when things turn sour, when things go bad, when you're not having a celebration anymore, when there's not plenty of food to eat and wine to drink, when the masses are not gathered throwing parties and listening to music and dancing and having a festival, when all these things come to you, why would God just all of a sudden say that? in the middle of the celebration or right as he's finished the prayer of dedication and all these wonderful things going on, why would God just all of a sudden say, when all these terrible things fall on top of you? Well, I think you know the answer. It's because the requirement for God's blessing to continue over all of this was a strict exercise of obedience to his words as time went on. And God knew, because it's always the pattern of God's people. As a matter of fact, it's the pattern of human beings in general, that they're going to live in obedience for a while, and then all of a sudden they're going to start to believe their own voices more than they believe His. They're always going to start to have an idea that they think is better than God's best idea. They're always going to start to push God off the center and to implement their own theories and principles and philosophies and ideas. They're gonna push him off center and they're gonna replace him in essence with themselves. Was the temptation in the garden? That's always the temptation. And he knew it was coming. He knew there would be a period of time where everything would go well and Solomon, Solomon would pay attention to his words and strictly obey them. But then compromise would start to happen. Compromise is the word for today. Compromise is one of the most dangerous things that a kingdom son or daughter can ever choose in their kingdom walk. Compromise can be good if you're negotiating, like you're buying a car, they're asking a certain price, you make them an offer down here, you're willing to compromise something, they're willing to compromise something, you meet in the middle, both sides are satisfied. Compromise in that sense is fine. But when it comes to the words of God and His mandate for obedience, compromise is absolutely not allowed. It will only bring destruction. So when we talk about our lives being built to honor God, there's going to come a time when the temptation to compromise comes up. And if we choose that compromise, you know what we can expect? One of two things and sometimes both. We can expect the judgment of God over our compromise or we can expect God to withdraw His protection from over us. Either one of those is a really, really scary place for me to think about. You ever ever think about life out from under the protective hand of God? With the levels of evil that exist in our world, to think about getting up every morning and living outside God's protection, that's what happens when we compromise on His words, is we remove ourselves from his protection, and we expose ourselves to that enemy that is roaming the earth looking for someone to devour. I want, to, I want us to put up on the screen a passage from 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, Loved many foreign women because besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. Who is Solomon here? He's the king of the Israelites, right? But the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place. Remember that high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude... And you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." We're really telling the end from the beginning here and then we're going to back up. This is the ultimate result of disobedience. This is the ultimate result of compromise. This is a very common theme in Scripture. Solomon's story is only one story of many throughout Scripture, of people who have been called and ordained by God for a purpose but got to a certain point in their lives and in the work they were doing that they started to trust their own judgment. They started to trust the advice and the judgment of outsiders more than they trusted the Word of God. They have a tendency to forget the words of God from the past and to little by little slide into this mode of self-sufficiency and the ultimate end is destruction. He married all kinds of women from foreign places when God had specifically said, You are not to intermarry with these people. Because what's going to happen? When you connect yourself with the wrong people, at some point, the likelihood that you're going to start to embrace their ways, their thoughts, to drift a little bit off-center, to push God a little bit more off-center in your life, and to compromise, that likelihood is very, very high. When one of my kids starts talking about, I'm not using this because Maddie brought her friend here this morning. I promise I'm not. But when, when one of my kids starts talking about liking somebody, dating somebody, whatever, I jump right into that conversation early on because I've got to intercept the plans of the devil. That's my responsibility as a father, is to run interference on the one who, looking, who is looking to devour my child. Right? Do they know the Lord? Do they walk in relationship with God? Are they kingdom-minded? Do they have a servant's heart? Are they a giver or are they a taker? Are they self-centered? Are they ask, always asking or... or, or, or Indicating that they want you to serve them, do something for them, or the, are they indicating a servant's heart toward you? Because don't talk about loving God and going to church and doing all the things and being part of the youth group, blah blah blah. If you are not a servant, when the Bible talked about being unequally yoked, that is a lesson we had better take very seriously, and we are way too loose as parents about letting our kids hang out with this person and go places with that person and to date this person or that person when they are not like-minded and they are not connected in their spirits toward God, their Creator. It is very, very serious business. I have seen it happen over and over and over, and I can't count on but about two fingers the number of times the godly kid has been able to influence the ungodly kid toward godliness, but I can't count on a hundred sheets of paper the number of times I've seen it happen the other way. And good kids end up out there in a ditch somewhere doing all kinds of horrible stuff, mixed up, confused, in rebellion, because they got connected with the wrong person, the wrong people. The Lord told him specifically, there's no insinuation here. It's a specific instruction. You are not to connect yourself with these people because they're going to lead you into worship of their gods, and that amounts to compromise, and compromise equals destruction. That's why he says to them, when I send a plague on you, when the locusts show up, when disaster and illness happens, because he knew that those days were coming. So let's back up to the beginning and let's put up 1 Kings chapter 3. Here's where it starts. It starts with one. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Well, there you go. There you go. Egypt, a pagan nation. Egypt, who's Pharaoh? Pharaoh equals ruler. Pharaoh is a king of sorts. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the nation. And during the, Egyptian, the days of the Egyptian empire made him the most powerful man in the world. And you know what Pharaoh was considered to be both by himself and everybody else? He was considered to be a god. He wasn't just a man. Why do you think they mummified and encased the pharaohs in encasements of gold and built monumental structures to put their dead bodies in when they were gone because they were considered to be deity. That's the way you would treat deity. But he makes an alliance with the Pharaoh of Egypt and marries his daughter. That's where it starts. That's where the compromise starts. He brought... Now listen to this. This just strikes me hard. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, who, however, were still sacrificing at the high places, there's that term again, because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. And Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. What does that mean? This is all because he married Pharaoh's daughter. What are the high places? The high places are are literally hills, mountains, knolls that were targeted as places to build altars and to build temples of worship for all kinds of different gods. Pretty much any country you went to in that region during that time, you would see up on the hills. See, it was done intentionally so that everybody could see it from a distance, so that it was a centralized location that people recognized as a place of worship. The high places, that's where you go to worship. The high places, that's where you go to offer sacrifices to your gods. Solomon builds a beautiful temple to the Lord. But what is he also doing on the side? He is going to the high places and offering sacrifices and burning incense to foreign gods to the gods that he brought into his life when he brought this foreign pagan worshiping woman into his life. Compromise. Yeah, but I'm still worshiping God. I'm still, I still love him. It says Solomon loved the Lord, right? He showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by his father David. He loves God. He prays to God. He serves God in certain ways. But he also goes to the high places to offer sacrifices and to burn incense to other gods. Compromise. Look at verse 3. There's an important word there that divides the, the verse. Go to the next screen. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. Except, man, when I was reading and studying that this week, I just had to stop and do something that I think is hugely important for all of us to do frequently. I had to do a serious self evaluation. And my evaluation was around, what is the accept in my life? If I'm going to give an honest depiction of who I am, how I live, as a kingdom son, serving my Lord, doing His work, speaking His words, is there an accept? and if so, what is it? Jeff loves the Lord, pays attention to his instructions, obeys those instructions, except what am I not willing to do that he's calling and challenging, commanding me to do? What am I doing that's outside of his will? What am I doing that would be categorized as disobedience? What kind of thoughts am I having that would fall in that category of accept? What kind of attitudes exist in me from time to time that would fall in the category of accept? What gods, what gods am I paying attention to? offering some sacrifice to, burning some incense to, in that God's high places. Well, I refuse this morning to tell you what my accepts are, but I challenge you to evaluate what yours are. You don't have to tell me, but I do strongly urge you to do a self-evaluation, to get down to the bottom of what are the accepts. Because it's the accepts that amount to compromise, and it's compromise that leads to destruction. There can be no accepts, or at least we should be growing out of them, maturing, advancing, becoming more like Christ day by day so that the accepts, if they do exist, and they exist for all of us, are little by little transforming out and being replaced by more of the Spirit of God. The Lord asks then, toward the end of chapter 3, what blessing Solomon would like to receive. We know what he asks for. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for long life. He asks for wisdom. You see, God is still tracking with his servant. He's not going to walk away from us on the first mistake. To date, Solomon has only married one foreign woman. That's a bad idea. It's not producing good results, but God is still tracking with him. You're still my son, I've still called you. Reflect back on Solomon's father, David. Did he ever make a mistake? (coughs) Yeah, it's pretty serious mistakes. Did he ever live in disobedience? Yeah, at a pretty serious level from time to time. But what did David always do? He repented. He repented sincerely on his face, weeping and wailing, covering himself in ashes and dirt, tearing his clothes off of himself. He's so disgusted with his own disobedience and begging God for his forgiveness. And then David always cried out, Three things, you always read it. Read the books of Samuel. Read the Psalms. David is always repenting. He's always crying out to God. He wrote more than half the Psalms, and if you read those Psalms, you consistently see this theme of this total dependence on God and this crying out that God would show up and do what God can do and the third thing he's always doing is he's always worshiping man what a life what a life repenting crying out and worshiping If we just lived our days out like that God will never turn away and walk away from us God will never remove his protection from us God will never Pronounced destructive judgment on us if we are always repenting because that's a perpetual experience. It's not a one and done. It's not prayer, prayer, and you're saved and you're good to go for all of eternity. You can live however you want to the rest of the time. None of that. That's all a lie. It's a farce. Forgiveness and repentance is perpetual. It's all the time. I've got things I need to be forgiven of today, so I'm going to ask for repent. I'm going to repent today, right? And then crying out, just always saying, God, help me. You know what? If you are consistently crying, God, help me, your self-sufficiency is going to dissipate. Too many of us spend our time standing looking in the mirror saying, how can I help myself? What a joke. Really? I know y'all. Forget about it. You can't help yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't forgive yourself. You can't put yourself on a solid kingdom pathway to realize His true purpose for you and live in complete and utter fulfillment all your days. You think you can do that through some grand idea you came up with? And then worship. I opened up the the service with a challenge to worship. And it was a challenge. It was a challenge because they had to come up with a couple songs right before church. And sometimes the interest, there was something weird going on in the background there that was not on with the rest of what it was going on. And, and, right, hey, there's still the call to worship because worship doesn't depend on the amenities that are around us. It's an attitude of the heart. What does Solomon do? It says, according to the instructions given him by his father David, but he did not follow the example of his father David. See, you can pay attention to what people are saying. You can read their books. You can listen to their podcasts. You can whatever. But if you're not doing the stuff, if you're not following the examples, if you're not taking the advice... It's not going to work out well. He knows what his father David said. But as time goes on, because he's been willing to compromise, he doesn't follow David's example. He begins to worship other gods. Got to finish up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, my dear friends, listen, this this is the lesson we'll take with us. Flee from idolatry. What should Solomon have done the minute the Pharaoh wants to sit down with him and have a conversation about working out a deal that will benefit both countries, but our kids need to get married? He should have grabbed his coat like Joseph did and run like a scalded dog. He should have said, no, sir. I will not compromise. I don't care what either one of us thinks the price tag in terms of the relationships between our two countries might end up being. I will not compromise on what the word of God to me is. Flee from idolatry. Flee from compromise. At City of Refuge, a few years back, we had a lady come who's the founder and executive director of a major company that's headquartered in Atlanta. She wanted to come and do a tour. She wanted to have a conversation. So, of course, we told her to come on. She did the tour. She sat down for the conversation. She loved everything. She was all about the women's stuff that we do, the trafficking, anti-trafficking stuff and all. She says, I'm all in. I'm ready to write a check today to start my support, which will be ongoing support for your work. And my first check's going to be a million dollars. Hey, I don't know if y'all are aware of this or not, but a million dollars is a lot of money. A million dollars is very important to uh, a nonprofit ministry like City of Refugees. was even more important back then because, you know, there were months where we were borrowing money to pay the payroll. She said, but the condition on my gift is that you give me a spot on your board of directors. Why is that your condition? because I wanna have a say in how the money is directed and how it's, and the answer to her was, thank you so much for coming for a tour. Appreciate your spending your time, being interested in who we are and what we do, but no thank you. Say what, you turned down a check for a million dollars? No, we turned down compromise. Turned down compromise. Because you know you can accept a million dollars today, but you have no idea what that million dollars may cost you as time goes on. Because our board positions are not sold. Every person on our board of directors is there because of relationship. These are people who, yes, are financially well put. These are people who are corporate executives. These are people who are attorneys. These are people who are uh, financiers. But it started with them and their wives and children coming and serving meals in the kitchen. It started with them coming and working at a kids' event that we put on, a Christmas outreach. It started with them coming once a week on Sunday evenings to prepare dinner for the ladies who live in House of Cherith. It started with them starting to invest of their time, their talent, their treasure, over a period of years in most cases. And then they were offered a position on the board of directors. You keep it pure. You eliminate compromise. By the time it's time for them to serve on the board, you know exactly what you're getting. Flee from idolatry. Speak to sensible people. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? I'm sorry, let me read that again. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider now here's the issue of learning from the examples. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. I personally am weary with a church world that purports to serve and worship the one true God, but that entertains all sorts of other idols and participates in all sorts of pagan mentalities and activities in order to try to draw a crowd. As a matter of fact, I'm so weary with it that I just don't do it. That's why I'm here with a handful of y'all. Because I'm only satisfied when I'm with like-minded people who are, have a similar way of viewing uh, the kingdom of God and are all in or they're nothing. I absolutely love it when a person who is nothing walks in the back door, but I detest when a person who wants to, to claim fullness in the kingdom of God, but also wants to compromise every time you turn around, comes in and tries to be part of the body. I don't need that pollution. I don't need that interference. I get chastised sometimes for saying things that might drive people away. All I can say is, I started to say I'm sorry, but I can't even say that. And, and maybe it's not for everybody. I just know what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says you can't drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons at the same time. And I have no interest in trying to look like the world in order to draw the world in or act like the world in order to, try, draw, to draw the world in. I just want to tell the truth. And whoever's interested in the truth can come on and join us. And we'll finish up with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Verses 4 and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is a call. This is the challenge to the church. This is the lesson we take with us. If you have made a decision to live in relationship with God, to walk in His kingdom, then you're making a decision to be obedient to His words. You're making a decision to think a certain way, and that requires that we surrender our will to His will because it's impossible. Listen, it's impossible for you to just make a decision to think a certain way. Sometimes I slam my fist on the steering wheel or wherever I am, and say, why are you thinking that way? Because my mind will go somewhere sometimes I don't want it to go. And all of a sudden I catch it, and I'm like, stop that! Look, we take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know? hey maybe we should start just yelling it out when we're walking through walmart or whatever just yell out stop that (laughs) you see somebody in their pajamas in walmart at two o'clock in the afternoon and you start thinking certain things and you're like stop that stop judging those people maybe they don't own anything but pajamas and they were starving they had to go to walmart but most of the time when you see them in Walmart in their pajamas they don't look like they're starving. I'm sorry. Stop that. Stop that. Stop. Stop. Judgmentalism, critical spirit. You know, judging people based on appearances, ba- judging people based on the way they talk, the way they communicate. Judging people m- based on, you know, decisions they make that from looking from here from my perspective, in just looks like stupidity, right? I don't know their story. I don't know what happened to cause people to be the way they are. I don't I don't know what kind of damage may have been done. I don't know what brokenness exists down in there that drives their behaviors. One thing you can be sure of is that the behaviors you see exhibited by people, by and large, are not the problem. It's whatever that's broken deep down inside that's driving that behavior that's the problem. That's what we can't see. That's why it's a mistake for us to judge them as people if you don't know their story, if you don't know the brokenness, if you don't know the path they've traveled. We grab those thoughts. We are on a pathway for our obedience to be complete so when we're told to take every thought captive, that sounds impossible, right? When we're told to be perfect as, as God is perfect, well, is that really even possible? The point is it's a challenge to live, in our li- to live our lives in a way that tomorrow I'm a little more perfect than I was today. That the day after that I'm a little more perfect than, I was, than I've ever been in my life. The day I die should be the most perfect I've ever been, if I'm living out my obedience toward completion. So what happened with Solomon? Well, he opened the door by marrying a pagan woman. He cracked that door even further when he started to worship her gods in the high places, to offer sacrifices, to burn incense. He slung the door wide open when he started taking in other wives from other countries, all pagan nations. And he started to worship their gods. These two that are mentioned, Chemosh and Moloch, if you don't know how terrible that is, then just Google them we're not talking about you know we're not just talking about dancing around in a field in front of a golden calf we're talking about some really horrible detestable stuff if the scripture describes them as detestable it was bad and solomon is going to the high places to offer sacrifices to these gods and calling himself a servant of the one true god at the same time That sounds terrible, but we need to do a self-check before we determine and conclude about how terrible it really was in Solomon's life if maybe a little bit of that exists in our life. And ultimately, God says to him, as we read in the first passage the end of the story, because of your disobedience, because you refused to pay attention to my words and to continue to live in a pattern of obedience to it, I'm stripping the kingdom. I'm going to let you live out your days and die, but the kingdom's going to be stripped under your son. I'm not going to be. Comp- I'm not going to completely destroy him. I'm going to give him one tribe. But I'm going to strip the rest, and it's going to be destroyed. These gods you're worshiping, their people, the people that worship them, are going to take over what I gave to you. What a tragedy. say, well, Solomon lived it out as a rich man in a palace and whatever. Does that matter? If you told me today that I'm going to be fine and live out my life, be comfortable and happy and have plenty of money and everything's good, but that because of things I've done, my son is going to experience destruction, heartbreak, pain, loss, do you think that's going to make it easier easier on me just because I won't be the one here experiencing that? No, as a matter of fact, I think I'd, I'd rather be knocked down myself than to know that's going to happen to my kids and my grandkids. This is the import of our decisions. This is the import of our commitment to him. It's the import of our commitment to the kingdom way, to thinking through a kingdom and looking through a kingdom lens and thinking with a kingdom perspective. And making sure that we're only worshiping the one true God. He's at the center of our lives. Father, thank you for your words. Um, I think they've hit us right where we need to be hit today. And that we can take them and we can be strengthened by them. We can have better clarity on how to be obedient. Sons and daughters walking out of here than we had when we walked in. I pray your people would be encouraged that there is a pathway that we can travel that will bring tremendous peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and reward ultimately, and that that will spill off on others as we travel through this life. I pray your blessings of peace and power and provision protection over us as we leave. You give us a great week, and that in all ways you'd be glorified through our lives as we let our light shine among men so that they will see our good works and bring glory to you. Amen. Amen.